This episode, it's our first annual question, answer, and commentary show. The monastery down the block might be very close to you, and a special return. The Catholic Underground starts right now. Alrighty, you've hit the play button on the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast cutting through the noise and bringing you the topics that matter. It's episode number 436. For those of you who are keeping score, I'm Father Chris Decker. Joining me, we got Kathleen Lee. Kathleen Lee, you're here. I am. That that's, I am. That's right. You're, you're wearing a, a purple shirt. Yes. On this Rose Sunday. Yes. But it's okay. It's all right. Sorry. Sorry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Olivia Galino. Olivia, you're here too. I am here. And we're glad that you're here. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, now... Before before I say who's next, um, you've been wondering about him for quite some time. Well, we're very pleased to tell you that uh, Jeff Blackwell has made his return. Yeah. And Jeff Blackwell, <laughs> yes. let's cut over to Jeff. Uh, he's upstairs. Oh. Hey, Jeff. Oh, uh, I am doing doing great, Father, and I am so delighted to be here. Man, have I got stories to tell. Yes, indeed. Yes, uh, Jeff does. And so uh, we thought uh, what we would do as we as we begin our program, is just to spend a little bit of time with Jeff. And, uh, and Jeff, I, 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 all I can say is welcome back. And, and uh, on behalf of Kathleen and mm-hmm. Olivia, yeah. and I can say the entire chat room, uh, welcome back. Yes. Oh, I'm, I, I, I tell you, it had to be tens of thousands of prayers on behalf of uh, me and my family. My wife who was my absolute hero. Uh, she was with me every day, and for those of you who don't know, I um, I wound up having just kind of just like an an intestinal thing, and uh, it it turned into just rampant organ failure, uh, just one thing after another, and uh, I wound up being in the hospital for three months. Three and, months. Yes. Yes. It, it seemed like a lot longer, actually. Well, and fortunately, I was out of it most of the time. Yeah. Uh, but uh, my wife was there every day, and of course, the COVID thing was going on, and so mm-hmm. she uh, was limited to, as to the hours that she could come, and she was the only one that was uh, was allowed to visit. Uh, but um, yeah, and that's really the thing about it too is in the midst of it all, not just the the fact that uh, that you know you were. Um, very really near death in the hospital yeah. um, several times and you know, several occasions, but that's on top of COVID-19 right. where your loved ones and uh, you know, your priests and whatnot well, yeah. can't get to you. And, um, yeah, and, and I know that, that, that was, that's difficult for so many and, and to know that you were right in the midst of that. Yes, and uh, uh, Diane, my wife, witnessed so many miracles, and there are wonderful things that, uh, that we could tell you that happened, but uh, they did call the family together twice to say, listen, we've done all we can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's up to you. Do you want to let him go? And uh, my, my son-in-law, uh, Ryan Cozan, he's, mm-hmm. he's a little Cajun. He said, Hey, dude, he's talking to the doctor. Dude, you crazy? Look, he, he's ran to bed. He's all right. You know, he's going to be okay. So, uh, uh, but uh, no, they, uh, they continued the, uh, the prayers. And uh, even months later, I've had doctors that had told me, like, uh, we really had our doubts. Uh, yeah. And um, I, I bet they had a pool going, too. You know, just, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, that's my question. Have you talked with any of your doctors since then? And are, yeah. they, are they still flabbergasted? 
Yes, uh, in fact, um, uh, one doctor told me that uh, I was so undernourished, and in fact, I wound up losing 70 pounds in mm. about two months. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and Not I, the way you want to lose weight. No, no. Uh, and, uh, the, but the reason that it wound up being that way is that I couldn't keep any, any food in my system. Mm-hmm. Uh, my um, stomach had started producing vast amounts of uh, bile Mm -hmm. and um and it was going the opposite direction of the way it was supposed to be and that's what wound up i um aspirated uh some Mm -hmm. of that bile wound up getting uh pneumonia Mm -hmm. um uh, liver uh had uh, acted acted quirky the kidneys were starting to shut down Mm -hmm. it was just so many things and um uh my wife uh, took uh, some pictures uh, where there, I'm just totally surrounded by machines, yeah. bags of IV, um, machines that are keeping me alive, helping me breathe, uh, monitors, what have you, and um, it's yeah, uh, it, it's it's just a miracle uh, that you, I'm here. You know, what's really something too is that is that early on, because of the you, you were aspirating the uh, the the bile and everything, yeah. uh, they had to perform a, a tracheotomy, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. I have a scar. Right yeah, down here. and and one of the the things that they said is that well, you know, uh, it, when Jeff makes it out, uh, if Jeff makes it out, uh, he's not going to have those dulcet tones. He's right. not going to have yeah. the. You know, he may not have a voice at all. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, man, an angel guided that trach tube. I, I got to tell you what happened, and I'm going to reveal something that oh. I've not revealed before. Oh, I'm going to show you I am missing a tooth. Oh, yeah. And um, what happened, my wife said they were, uh, at one point, they were getting two tubes down my throat yeah. and wound up knocking uh, that tooth um, off, and uh, and it's level, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. basically with the, my gum. And uh, and uh, they don't know what happened to it. It disappeared. Uh, but uh, I will get that fixed eventually. But sure. uh, there were bigger fish to fry for sure. And uh, um, uh, But uh, after I got kind of over the hump, uh, mm-hmm. then I wound up getting transferred to another uh, hospital altogether and, and got worse. Yeah. Then they had to transfer me back to mm-hmm. the, the hospital. And... Um, they said we're going to keep this guy here. Uh, we're going to get him well and and start rehab. I mean, I had to learn to eat all over again, yeah. uh, to walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I couldn't even get out of bed. Uh, uh, and um, yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, I'll I'll give you some pictures to share uh, on the website if you'd like, Father. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that again that, that gets me every time though is that you didn't have to learn how to Jeff voice again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, the, because for those of you who don't know, Jeff uh, Jeff volunteers for the Catholic Underground, mm-hmm. but his voice is his life. Yeah. <laughs> because you do voiceover work uh, yeah. professionally. Mm-hmm. And and so so much of, of, of what what Jeff does, like his his, his money maker, his mm-hmm. income, is his voice. And I still am just amazed when I first yeah. uh, got to hear you on the phone. Uh, thinking, mm-hmm. man, my first thought was, thank God Jeff's alive. My second yes. thought was, Jeff will be able to live. <laughs> yeah, you know? and, and I, I had two yeah. friends of mine who told me that they had relatives that went into the hospital under similar circumstances. Yeah. And when they had to do the trach mm-hmm. or tracheostomy is I yep. think the uh, term, and uh, uh, 
uh, but they wound up damaging their vocal cords mm-hmm. and yeah. they wound up losing their voice. Gosh. And uh, this, I was twice, uh, yeah. you know, uh, put on life support. And, um, and, and, uh, and in fact, it, uh, initially, when the trach is done, mm-hmm. um, there's, a, there's a tube, um, and uh, it, I, I learned the, 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 there's a, like a cap that goes on yeah. it so you can talk. But I just learned to just put my finger over the hole and so I could talk when I needed to. But mm-hmm. uh, there was a long time where I was just whispering. That's all I, yeah. I could do. Uh, oh but, my goodness. Uh, yeah, I remember I was talking to um, our friend, uh, Brian Butler, and I was asking, yeah. you know, I was telling, updating him and asking him uh, for prayers. And I remember, you know, just talking to him and I said, um, I said, you know, I don't, I don't know if he'll, if, mm-hmm. if he'll speak again. And mm-hmm. I, and I just remember I was, I got super emotional and I was like, I, I don't care. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, I, I don't care as long as Jeff comes out of it alive, mm-hmm. you know, but, wow. but I remember just being, you know, that, that was a, definitely a thought of mine was just what a, what a beautiful voice you have and how characteristic that is of you, mm-hmm. you know, and to hear that when we come into the studio and, you know, usually I come in on a Sunday evening, you know, faced with whatever I have for the yeah. next week. And it's just so good to hear, my name come out of your mouth you know, uh-huh. to, to, to think that you know one i might not ever hear that again because you might never right. speak again but you know then mm-hmm. that you might not be with us was was very difficult to man to carry yeah, so i'm that. like and then you came when you came the other week i was like get out of town <laughs> <laughs> this is the best day of my life yeah. so it's good to have you back it, it reminds Thank me you. too of the reading for office of readings this morning um how uh john the baptist they're, they're talking about john the baptist is is the voice, mm-hmm. but but he is not the word. Mm. Yeah. You know, yes. he says yes. the the voice. As soon as it speaks, it's done. Once it's finished, the mm-hmm. word. But the word mm. continues. The word mm. perdures. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. And and how when you bring both of those things together, you get John the Baptist living his vocation and fulfilling it. And then of course you have what he's pointing to mm-hmm. to to Christ, who is the Word made flesh, who is the eternal Word. And so, um, again, Jeff, uh, just to be able to, to have you utter these words that are just wisps from your voice. <laughs> well, but it, so much of what you do is, I mean, has to do with, with the word that is absolutely, Jesus Christ. Absolutely, yes. And uh, the one thing that I really learned and I want to share, you know, with, with, with everyone, and mm-hmm. if you don't remember anything else, remember this, that... Um, Jesus wants you to have eye contact with him and trust him. Yeah. And that was the bottom line. Are you trusting me? I had so many things that happened over the course of these three months. And since I got out of hell, one of the things that did occur is I uh, uh, became legally blind because I, I lost my eyesight for being um, uh, unconscious for such a long time. Mm-hmm. So my um, uh, corneas became ulcerated, and uh, there's a special medicine that um, the doctor tried several different things, the eye doctor, and uh, we brought it down to the, the, okay, here's the medicine that will heal your eyes, but it's very, very expensive. And my thought was, Father, I'm looking at you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so when all else fails, humans will fail you and and sometimes leave you high and dry, but you look at Jesus. You keep your eyes and focus on the Lord and say, Father, I love you and I trust you, and he will bring you through. 
I feel like I should read, read Psalm 27. Uh, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Mm. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and foes, they shall stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above all my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Mm-hmm. You learned at the school of the Lord, Jeff, oh, um, yes. how to seek his face again. And uh, of course, the way that that psalm ends, mm-hmm. I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Man. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Mm. So Jeff, thanks for waiting for the Lord. Oh, man. Yeah. I, you know, I really didn't have much choice, but I, you could either... Yeah, uh, you know, um, you can either seek his face or just yes, look at the ceiling, right? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, you know, hope and trust are the two things, the two words that come to mind uh, through this whole ordeal. And uh, yeah, well, and, and you're in luck because it's Advent and mm-hmm. hope and trust yes. are those two yeah. themes. <laughs> you right. kind of got spat out of the hospital right in time for Advent, yes. you know. So so here we are. I love it. So uh, that's just to spend a little bit of time with Jeff. As you, you know, uh, as the new year comes around, we'll spend many, many more months with Jeff, who's a, an essential member of the CU. I, I suppose we should also thank uh, Albert DuPont, who's uh, running video actually yes. tonight. Yep. There um, he is. And, and Albert was uh, standing in on the Jeff Star One up there. So, yes. uh, so thanks thank again you, to Albert. Albert for doing yeah. that. And he's and still... He's going to give me a ride home tonight. Too. Hey, look at that. You don't yeah. want me driving. That's right. Yeah, eyeballs when you need them, right? So, right. That's it. Eyes for hire. There you go, Albert, if you need an LLC, you know. So in addition to visiting with Jeff, uh, this is what we thought we would call our first annual questions, answers, and comments um, show. Yep. Yeah, questions, answers, and comments. And so uh, over the course of the year, a number of you have sent in your questions, uh, and we will hopefully provide some answers and some commentary on the side. Sure. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's open-ended, uh, the, the questions are. So, you know, whatever you want to ask the CU, we're happy to, to, um, to chime in because we obviously have thoughts about things. <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, maybe it's something about uh, what the church teaches on something. Maybe it's something about one of us. And so we thought we, from this year forward, we'd go ahead and, and maybe towards the end of the year do a question and answer show. So be looking uh, on the lookout uh, for 2021 yeah. uh, for, for questions and answers. And if we don't have a chance to get to it on back chat, then we'll have an opportunity mm-hmm. to, to do that. Yeah. And so, um, all right, so we'll just dive in, shall we? Cool. Our first question comes from back chat and uh, it goes to Olivia um, but it's really kind of for both of you too, oh, because yeah. you know one of the one of the things that uh, that you two talk about a good bit is your time in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And so the question is this: uh, You both have degrees in theology. Uh, you're both teachers who are teaching students at a primary or secondary level. Do you find having all the advanced knowledge helps you or hinders you as you try to teach the 101, the basic stuff? Mm. Because Kathleen, you teach what grade? Sixth and eighth. Sixth and eighth Mm -hmm. grade. And Olivia, you teach? I teach ninth and twelfth. 
Okay, so Olivia, what do you think? <laughs> does does the advanced knowledge help you, or does it hinder you trying to teach the basics? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, I think that it helps because, you know, someone might ask a question, and like they might not be considering all of the sides of the question, or yep. they might be asking it from one perspective, but like you know that like we need to bring in these other perspectives, yeah. or like we need to figure out what we're actually asking, you yeah. know, and um, and I think that having studied theology deeply and continuing to do so like helps with that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's hard in the moment to like, you know, let's say you get a question on the fly, like I can prepare all I want, but then someone might raise their hand and ask a really insightful question. And I'm like, huh. Yeah. And I have to pretty much like kind of on the spot. I mean, you know, I, I obviously can and do say like sometimes, well, let me think about that because I need to mull that over or I yeah. need to look something up or, you know, but sometimes just on the spot, I'm like cycling through like, well, I could say this like from the church fathers or this is Thomas Aquinas. But then sometimes I'm talking to someone who's 14 years old and yeah, I'm like, yeah. all right, let's pare it down. And that is hard to do in a, the span of like seven seconds. Yeah. Um, so it's hard to sometimes to figure out like when you're saying too much and when you're saying too little, yeah. um, not trying to dumb it down, but also trying to like not provide too much of a challenge. So it's, I don't know, it's a tenuous balance. Yeah. Yeah, Kathleen's more experienced. I teach the little ones. Um, I think for like, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but that's the gift of teachers is that, and I'm not saying it's for myself. I struggle with this myself, but like, um, I, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I took a, a class um, in theology and my professor was uh, Dr. Brant Petrie, who is incredibly smart. I mean, he's a scriptural genius. Mm -hmm. And my my first class was the um, the liturgy, and I was like, <laughs> I know the liturgy. <laughs> and he could have come in there and you know and just drop knowledge on us every day. Yeah. But what he did was he took this knowledge that was way over like way up here yeah and he didn't dumb it down but he brought us up to mm -hmm. to understand it as so i find that with with especially younger kids if you can if you can explain to them like the new adam and the new eve mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in a way that a sixth grader can understand it they understand it yeah. Yeah. and i think that's one of the things as a teacher that uh and as really as as adults that we do a disservice to our young people it's like they won't understand that mm -hmm. so we're not even going to go there mm -hmm. uh man they get it they mm -hmm. get it you just got to be able to like bring them up to that yeah that degree of knowledge that you have yeah i well, find that i try to aim high to begin with and of course i'm just a you know i don't know what i, I would call myself a uh, priest uh, well, I'm a, I'm a geek first, so like all the little oh, okay. intricacies mm -hmm. of of the you know covenantal theology, oh, liturgy, yeah. and all these things, they all kind of you know fling around my head like a pinball all the time. Yeah. So I try to I try to start high, and sometimes I wonder if that's actually working. But yeah. for the most part, they go uh huh, yeah. You know, yeah. I think people are ready to rise to a challenge. I think sometimes it's hard because or the, I'm like discovering this is like a, a difficulty, like because. Theology is, it's obviously like um, the study of, you know, God, mm -hmm. but it's it's an academic discipline, right? The yeah. way, like, it, we have pursued that as an academic discipline, like we mm -hmm. continue to do it. There's like, obviously the, the practice, mm -hmm. right? That's important, but like, there's just, it's a, it's a, a the highest science, yeah. right? According to Aristotle. And um, it's hard because sometimes people ask questions or like, 
they think that you're going to present something in a way that's like hard and fast. Mm -hmm. Here's the answer. Yeah. Or they, they might ask a question thinking that you're going to give them that sort of answer. Or wanting that answer. Right. Give me the black and white. Right. right. And, and I know that I like that maybe they're asking a question that is something that is still in conversation mm -hmm. um, and has been for 2000 years yeah. or something that has a lot of nuance to it, you know, something like that. Yeah. And it's hard to have to kind of introduce them maybe when they haven't been to the idea that like, well, you know, theology, like one of the classical definitions of theology is faith seeking understanding, mm -hmm. right? So we can seek to understand, but are we going to fully comprehend? No. Yeah. And that's yeah. like the difficulties because we want to, we think that we might get to the point where we like have all the knowledge now. Yeah. Um, but it's hard when you have to like hold these things in tension yeah, um, and I, like I teach other people to do that. I think having the the philo teaching the philosophical frameworks too, and then at the end of it, saying, at the at the end of all of this, Jesus Christ is a lover who is drawing the beloved to Himself, mm -hmm. and so we are going to arrive appropriately at at mystery, and that doesn't mean that we don't have answers for things. It doesn't mean that we can't uh, give you a, a clear you know teaching, but you're always going to want more. Mm -hmm. You're always going to want to go deeper into those responses. Yeah. Even in the black and white things, there is, there's, there's, there's a depth. technicolor yeah. of depth, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's very cool. So uh, the, the, the second question that comes to us also from Backchat uh, goes to Kathleen. Yay. Kathleen, mm -hmm. you used to be involved in logistics for I the did. March for Life. Yep. What is it like taking people on buses as a coordinator compared with attending just as a participant? Because, you know, January's rolling around and right. we, we talk about March for Life all the time. Yeah. And, and so I, you've had both of those because you yeah. talk about this every year. Yeah. And unfortunately this year, I think um, a lot of people, including our diocese, are not are not going to the march, which mm -hmm. I think is, is smart. Um, but there are other things that you can do. We could talk about that a whole other day. Uh, but yes, I used to be uh, one of the directors for uh, the trip out of Baton Rouge that at one point had 11 buses. 11. Mm. 11. Um, they cool. now take nine. Um, so, but um, it's, it is, you know, incredibly labor intensive for the whole year and includes more than, than people who, you know, actually go on the trip. There are many people who don't even go on the trip who are, you know, coordinating things behind the scenes. Mm. And so, um, you know, it, it is one of those things that you work, you know, you work your, your tail off mm -hmm. all year long. And then you get on a bus and you say, all right, Lord, like, <laughs> this is yours. Here we go. Cause there, I mean, you, the buses break down and mm -hmm. kids get sick and you miss appointments and they shut down half the city and it snows and you know, like you, you, nothing, nothing is going to go to plan at all mm -hmm. ever. And so, you know, I, you know, I always say this my very last trip, we didn't even go on the march. Mm -hmm. People got sick. There was a snowstorm. Horrendous. It was horrible. So you were just stuck in Washington. Well, we got back on the bus and came home. Oh, you home came. Oh, that's right. On you Thursday. And the, the march was scheduled for Friday. Ah. There was a snowstorm coming in. And then half, not half, but like probably 50 people got violently ill the night before we left this i mean it was just it was your own private pandemic it was horrible it was horrendous and i remember getting on the bus and pouting because i was like i might gotten in the bus and i'm not a crier i cried i wrapped myself in a blanket and i cried and i was like th these kids like they're gonna they're no one no one's coming on this trip next year they, mm -hmm. they're gonna hate it they we didn't even go in the march and the kids got up one by one and started to talk about how god had moved in their life that that week mm -hmm. of their own volition they just they did this well we do like sharing at uh -huh. the end you know and i was like but all they, right who wants to share and they were yeah. like me mm -hmm. huh. and they just and i and it was like the lord going 
hey, dumb dumb, <laughs> right? right? Like, how many times have you been on this trip? And I was like, eight. Okay, fine. Yeah, right. um, this very, is the march. For yeah, life, right? and yeah. it's very different than going, you know, as just a participant because you think that the whole thing as a participant just just happens. runs like yeah. a dream, yeah. and then and then when you become in charge, you're like. Oh, you know, I never see another spreadsheet again. Yeah. How are we going to feed 450 people? And, you know, we're going to have to get Taco Bell in the middle of the night, you know, like, and, and move this all around. And there's so many moving parts, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, so I, so I like it better being, being behind the scenes. I like being, you know, seeing how it all works. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a totally different ball game when that, when that veil is lifted. I've only ever been a participant. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think in, it was in maybe oh two or oh three. Yeah. The seminarians were asked to go down to take uh, an hour of Eucharistic adoration while the march was happening. Mm. Uh, and mm-hmm. as kind of a uh, an aside, we were able to march on the day of the march if we wanted to, if we didn't mm. have the holy hour. Right. And so I've only ever been as a participant in just all the different things. It's amazing that it, it's in a complete blind spot from the media. Yeah. Yeah. Because, it shocks me because every year. Because there is so much that happens that yeah. is in the public eye that is logistically very complicated. Yeah. And as, as you say, you almost feel like, ah, well, there's nothing to this. You just right. get out and walk. No, there's a lot. Well, people are there. Like people are there all week. You, yeah. You're walking around D.C. and you know, you know for sure you pass another group yeah. and you're like, that's a that's mm-hmm. a, a, a pro-life group mm-hmm. you know and there are things going on throughout the city rallies being held and you know people praying outside the abortion clinic and the capitol like mm-hmm. you can't you cannot you have to intentionally you actually have miss, to turn the cameras yeah, off you yeah. have to intentionally miss it and that's mm-hmm. repeatedly mm-hmm. what you know the national media has done and every year like i kind of gotten a little a little numb to it i'm like yeah not surprised but every year there are people who go on the march and they're like it outraged. Yep. Are you kidding me? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I know, dude, there's millions of people out here. And yep. n- you know what I think is going to happen this year? Uh, prediction is it will be covered this year mm. because the numbers will predictably not be as mm, high. Yeah. Or the, so they say, I yeah. bet it's going to get coverage. And they're going to say fewer people are out this year. Or it's going to get coverage that uh, people, you know, pe- how dare people actually, right. you know, go like out. Oh, right. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> yep. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't wait to be able to, to get back out yeah. and to do things like that because part of uh, who we are as Christians is standing up for Christian values. And, and that's part of what religious liberty is all about. Mm-hmm. It's also part of standing up for the things that matter. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, very cool. I found it interesting that, that this is a question, but you know, people do wonder about yeah. that because mm-hmm. I know that folks often wonder, you know, should I take a group and yeah. is there a lot that's involved in taking a oh, group? Oh, look, and, if you ever, if you ever want or think about that, you know, and you want to talk, yes, do it. And two, I will help you because mm-hmm. I, it, it is that important to get kids um, to, to stand up, you know, for life on a mm-hmm. national stage. It's inc- it can be an incredible experience. So please, please let me help you. If you've yeah. ever like big or small, 10 people, 300 people, let me know. Kathleen's heart is very large yeah. for this sort of thing. That's good. <laughs> so that's, good. that's nice uh, to, to know. Uh, Kathleen Lee is always standing up for life. Mm-hmm. We hope that you'll sit down for a bit uh, because we're the Catholic underground and we'll be right back after this message. Hail, Hail Holy Queen, Queen Mother, Mother of Mercy, mercy. Our, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. hope. 
To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious Advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us, and after this our exile, show it to us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary. Catholic Underground. We are the podcast that tries to cut through the noise and find that still small voice, the voice that matters, the voice of God. Yep. I'm Father Chris Decker, joined by Kathleen Lee, by Olivia Galino. Up on the Jeff Star One, we've got Jeff Blackwell back yeah. with us. Hey, Jeff. What? We'll it's take a uh, Kathleen Bassey. We'll take a moment just to linger <laughs> uh, with Jeff for just a second because uh, it's oh, so good. To, so good to have you back, Jeff. Oh, it is, uh, man. It, it's, it's a blessing to be here. And then switching the video for us is Albert Dupont, who has been uh, manning the other side of the Jeff Star one while you were away. <laughs> yeah. um, so, uh, so thanks to Albert for running the video. Uh, that's and that's a learning curve because, as you know, uh, Jeff, we've got all sorts of new bells and whistles uh, in the studio. Things are a little different yeah. than when you left. Yeah I, yeah, I wouldn't even know where to begin. So I'm glad Albert's over there and I'm sitting here. I'm, I'm <laughs> you got you got the easy work, right? I'm trying to get you know reacquainted to this uh, this audio console, but it's working. It's happening. Yeah, and do you find that all your files are where you left you left them? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. Of course not. It is our annual, our first annual question answer and comment show mm -hmm. and uh for the next question we'll turn over to kathleen yeah this one is for our good old father chris that's me it says this um how long it's a multi is it multi-part oh question. it's multiple okay <clears throat> how long have you been a priest is there an aspect of priesthood that no one could have explained to you when you were in the seminary mm -hmm. um and would matter a lot but but is essential to your life as a priest now Okay, so how long have I been a priest? Um, that's an easy one. I was ordained in 2007. Mm -hmm. So it was my 14th year, I guess. Mm -hmm. Will it be 15 this yeah. coming year? 14, 14. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm not really a math guy. Uh, <laughs> he so, doesn't do the numbers. That's right. So 14, right, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, uh, nearly, nearly 15 years a priest. Uh, and sometimes it feels like 14 years. Yeah. But, you know... It, so many ways I feel like I was ordained yesterday. Mm -hmm. I okay. really do. I mean, uh, they, they always say that when you, when you live right, you're going to encounter the cross, but you're going to realize that there's deep fulfillment in what you do, you yeah. know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I can say that, that I'm deeply fulfilled in what I do. Um, mm -hmm. So the, other, the second question, you didn't ask that question, but I answered it anyway. <laughs> um, is there an aspect of priesthood that no one could have explained when I was in the seminary that would matter a lot? Mm -hmm. but is essential to my life as a priest now. You know, um, true confessions, uh, I did not know that the liturgy of the hours mm. was going to be a thing that I was supposed to do. Mm. Mm. And I don't know why, I, I, honestly, looking back, I don't know why that was. Uh, I don't know if it was because we were just kind of handed the book right. and a monk taught us how to pray the liturgy of the hours. And the monks, you know, they chant it. Right. Whereas we just kind of recite it most of the time, you know, and and they taught us to say morning prayer and evening prayer because those were the two things that we did as a community. Mm -hmm. And then that was it. We, we I don't re I remember many, many years later. So I entered the seminary in 1999. We'll say around 2001. 
So I was I was ordained in 07. Yeah. Uh, they said, you know that you're supposed to pray all of those um, periods of prayer. So five, mm-hmm. as many as nine, but five for sure. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I'm almost done with formation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what could possibly be so important that you know, that I have to do this every day yeah. mm-hmm. um, and not just pray in the morning and in the evening. And for me, the liturgy of the hours is essential to my life as a priest. Yeah. And I never, I never would have considered that, that that something that simple, if you will, would be kind of a lifeblood for me. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who maybe aren't familiar, the liturgy of the hours is, uh, is the official prayer of the church um, daily. So the mass is kind of included in that, actually. Yeah. But it's it's all of the it's all of the psalms. So all 150 psalms prayed um, over the course of four weeks. Wow. And yeah, and so you pray all the psalms. So that means that you have the the office of readings, which is uh, uh, three sets of psalms, and then um, a, a longer scripture reading, and then a reading from one of the church fathers or one of the documents of the church or something from our rich rich deep treasury. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you have morning prayer and then daytime prayer, which has three potential offices, and then evening prayer, which is also often called vespers, and then compline or night prayer at the end of the day. And so those are like bookends, and they're also like uh, hitching posts throughout mm. your day. Mm-hmm. And then typically if you're in community or something, the mass is part of that somewhere. Yeah. And for a priest, the mass is certainly part of that for us, but depending on what parish you're in, it might be at a different time. Mm. Um, monastic schedules usually have either mass in the evening before Vespers or in the middle of the day, sometimes very early in the morning in between the office of readings called um, matins and lauds, which would be the morning prayer. Mm-hmm. So. So all these things kind of fit together. And because, you know, as a, as a seminarian, I'm thinking like, oh, well, mass is going to be important, obviously. And then my own private prayer is going to be important, obviously. But what's like the bellows, right? The, mm. the mm-hmm. that gets all that stuff going. It's the liturgy of the hours. Mm. Wow. It's praying 150 psalms over the course of four weeks. And then you pray sometimes the same psalms over and over again within the course of one week. If you have a lot of feasts or solemnities, mm-hmm. you pray the same psalms. So mm-hmm. what it has become for me is, um, is, this, is this very natural breath to my, to my day and to my week. And so throughout the course of the week, and you, you guys hear me and probably make fun of me. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Um, I'll, I'll say things that are psalms, mm-hmm. or I'll say things that are antiphons, you know, mm-hmm. for, the, for the psalms, because that has, become, that has become part of my vocabulary, my prayer vocabulary, but also part of my lived vocabulary. Oh, yeah. And so the oh, Liturgy yeah. of the Hours is my answer. There's no oh, wow. making fun. It's actually very nice, like, when I can recognize, like, that what you're saying is like from the Psalms, like it's, it, I don't know. There's something really special about like having a priest, like, and you know, we're good friends, but like having a priest who's like, I don't know, being the voice of the church in that moment. Like, mm-hmm. even if you're like mm-hmm. recalling something that was just important, like for yeah. whatever's going on in your own life, like to know that like you're, I don't know, it's like a calling back even for us. So yeah. this is a lot of those who up. trust in themselves, their plans that day shall come to nothing. I mean, if I'm having a particularly good day, I'll remember that mm. if I'm having a particularly bad day, I'll remember it, you know, yeah. mm. um, which is also one of my favorite phrases from the liturgy of the hours. And that's the Valley of Succoth. <laughs> 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 we can say it. It's okay. You could say that, right? Uh, wow. Cause yeah, the Valley of Succoth. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, how much time do you spend staring into the closet, wondering which collar you're going to wear for the day? 
I do have some <laughs> options. Actually, today I'm wearing my short form cassock. So whenever oh. I was I was a new a, a brand new priest. Uh, so this would have been 2008, and a, a sacristan at one of the parishes where I served said, Father, you know, I used to be a Jesuit forever ago. I was a Jesuit novice, and I left formation, and I still have my Jesuit cassock, and I, I'm never going to wear it ever again, so would you like it? And I said, well, I, sure. Huh. So, so this, I don't know if you can, this, um, I don't think we have a camera shot for the whole, but this, it, it snaps together, ah. and it's held together with, uh, with my fascia here. Yeah. So, okay. so uh, I don't have to button anything up. It just <laughs> I so snap and unsnap. Short form, not all thirty-three it buttons. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, uh, and so, Aww. it's a it's a Jesuit novice's cassock. Mm. But whenever, like today, I was on the road. I was traveling, and and I was actually I had a vacation day today. So I went up and visited a priest friend of mine, Father Ryan, and uh, can celebrated mass at his parish. So I didn't have to bring the whole getup. So I brought the short the shortcut cassock, if nice. you will. Okay. Um, and I, I, I will tell you, I, I am wearing my athletic pants underneath. Nice. Because you can whenever, you know, you wear a yeah. cassock, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's another long answer for a short question. Yeah. I like it though. Yeah. But so, and actually I need to dry clean my, my daily cassock, my work cassock, because I got some, um, for my mom's birthday, I made red velvet cupcakes uh, and I uh -huh. got some icing on my cassock and oh. I still haven't cleaned it off because, well, had too many funerals. Oh, <laughs> oh my! Had a chance. Usually, Advent and Lent are, are uh, busy, busy seasons for funerals because yeah. people people start to go home in those seasons, and That's it's uh, it's not as morbid as it sounds. No, no. it's, it's nice, when families actually. get together and people can can actually say their goodbyes. It's amazing how Saint Joseph, in the grace of a happy death, allows that to happen. Mm. Okay, all right. So next question. <laughs> Sorry. Oof. Um, next question. Uh, this one, I guess, really could be Olivia and Kathleen. But Olivia, I'll ask you: uh, What is your favorite Christmas confection? Mm. What's your favorite Easter confection? What's your favorite one to make? Oh gosh. Uh, okay. So, I guess like I'll start with like I make a lot of wedding cakes now, mm -hmm. and I somehow have become like the Catholic wedding cake baker. And people yep. are like, "Is that so fun?" No, it's really not. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's very. It's a lot of work. It takes like forty hours to make a wedding cake. Wow. Um, but my favorite thing to make, at, just to dispel that myth, I'm not going to say wedding cakes. Um, <laughs> my favorite thing to make for Christmas is probably fig cookies. Um, okay. Although, like, I don't know, we tend to make those at different times of the year. But For like, the big festive seasons, fig cookies are kind of your family yeah, thing. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. So or we your did cultural make them, thing, too. Yeah, we did make them last year, I think, for... For Christmas or maybe it was the year before but um yeah I love that because they're delicious objectively mm -hmm. but um also because it's just something that I learned how to do with my mom and like oh, yeah. we always so do it sentiment it's, attached to yeah it. it's very labor intensive it takes like four days and so like you have to do it you can't really do it by yourself especially because yeah. we make thousands of them and so like it's just something that we get to do together and like the conversations that we mm -hmm. talk about or the things that we talk about while we're making them and I don't know there's just something really like precious about that so yeah. um not only for like the goodness of the cookie itself um but yeah that time so that'd be both spend. christmas and easter that you make the fig cookies yeah but my favorite actually they're like lent right because it's saint joseph's day yeah so, so march the cuchidati are like particularly for saint joseph's day yeah um but that, a lot of people make them for christmas too so mm -hmm. but um my favorite easter thing to make i i only made one time and it was shockingly difficult but it's called casada it's a sicilian dessert that's like layered um, pan de España, like sponge cake, mm -hmm. and then like a, a 
cream in between. And then you take um, pistachio and you make uh, marzipan out of it. Yeah, so sure. You crush um, up the pistachios mm -hmm. and you make a... With uh, like egg white and yeah. powdered sugar and you make like a, a something that you can roll out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you like put that on the sides, you Whoa. candy your peels. It like it's so many steps in this one tiny little thing, but it's so good. Kathleen, if you short out the microphone so from drooling. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Again. <My> bad. <laughs> I really want to make it this year because I made it. I don't even know, like three years ago, it was probably one of the ugliest things I've ever made, but it was so Who good. Who cares? That's how I, yeah. I always like watch the baking shows and like, this is hideous. I'm like, taste it <laughs> because you're going to love it. And they're like, oh my gosh, but it tastes so awesome. I'm like, what did I do? Yeah. What does it matter? Because once it hits your mouth, it doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, the show notes are going to be thin for this episode, so maybe we could put a link to if there's oh, a yeah. recipe or yeah. something for, the, for I'd that. I'd be happy to. And yeah, my favorite thing to make, like just any time of the, of the year, mm -hmm. would probably be um, these Viennese rolls mm -hmm. from... Um, uh, what's it called the book of bread i think by eric kaiser oh i know that book yeah and um it's book. these viennese rolls they're like sweet rolls oh but they're so fun to make mm. um but yeah i'll try to put some recipes in the show notes kathleen do you have a favorite christmas thing to make uh, my, do you? my mom makes this year i'm going to learn how to make them uh pralines oh, oh that's a labor of love too because you got to get it just the right time you can, it's got to be the right weather you got to get just the right you only have a short amount of time to make it once you've mixed it and it starts to cool and like i am a praline snob first off it's not praline don't ever say that ever <laughs> don't my, ever don't, don't ever say that. that um and secondly like all these there's a lot of places in louisiana they're like oh we make the best pralines no, you don't. <laughs> There's only two places that make the best pralines. Southern Candy Makers in uh, by the French Quarter in, in New, New Orleans. Orleans. And my mother. <laughs> and my mother makes them better than Southern oh, Candy wow. Makers. Shout Ooh. out, just saying. Yes, so there it is. Hmm. You, you could have some competition in the Baton Rouge market for uh, confections. I see. If when it comes not, to candy, I'm not giving those away. I'm just saying. I'm just like she's eating them. She's when it comes good. to candies and stuff like pralines, I'm like, take it. Yeah. Don't not your, go. Yeah, go with God. Yep, uh -huh. not my thing. It, it, it's that you want to talk about difficult work. I've I've yeah. made pralines once, and yeah. it is yeah. I, it well, takes, I made them once. My mom rocks it. It takes and all I, kinds of flowers. And to I be don't a garden, think that my know? yeah exactly. I don't think my skillets were the same. And she and she does the same thing she's like oh these don't look good and i'm like i'll have them i don't <laughs> care because they taste just the same so there yeah. it is okay it looks like we have maybe time for one maybe two more okay, okay. um i'll skip down a little bit here okay um there are some that uh. argue <laughs> that the single life is not a proper vocation as you both prepare for marriage and father chris is a priest what are your thoughts on whether or not the single life is just a way station towards another vocation or is it valid on its own because oh both of you were in the single yes uh, state of life for a long time i could talk on f six different shows on this this one thing first off can we uh okay go ahead now while i think that the single life is not uh, um like a proper vocation in and of itself it is not always like it people who are single yeah. are not in in like the limbos y'all i'm 34 years old and i'm gonna put that out there <laughs> if i were waiting on my vocation which i was ve i'm very sure i was very sure when i was single that i was not called to religious life mm -hmm. i sought it out i prayed about it i went to see and it was very clear that that's not what the lord wanted me but if I would have waited to live my life as what I was called to be and do until somebody put a ring on my finger, like we look, we look at it as like, 
I think a lot of times as a single person, like people who were married, like looked on me with like pity sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, look, my friends, <laughs> mm -hmm. like I, I, I'm not waiting for something. You know, if this happens, if I get engaged, if I, you know, it is not a way station because if you wait, I would have wasted all this time mm -hmm. waiting for something to, for my life to begin. Mm -hmm. Like when I grow up and get married, no ma'am, mm -hmm. I had, you know, what since I was 16 so let's talk about 30 not 30 years that's too long um <laughs> 15 oh, I, some years about 20 years where I would have been wasting my life mm. waiting for this vocation to happen and what if what if I had never like this is the question what if I would have never gotten engaged what mm. if I never would have met my fiance and never would have gotten engaged what is and like and I, I don't feel called to the religious life and but maybe I feel called to marriage, but I can't just make that happen. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I, there is not, it's not a way, it's not a way to, it's, I don't think it's the single life unless you choose to live it. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and as a consecrated version or, or if that's your choice, then I don't think it's in and of itself a proper vocation. Mm -hmm. I think there is an, an element of waiting to, to it, but it is not like, you're not like we have to stop looking at it as you're not fulfilled as a mm -hmm. as a as a catholic as a human being mm -hmm. because you you are living as a single person yeah well and it's it's you know you bring up a good point too that it's like a difficult thing theologically because yeah. like when you look at like the states of life which yeah. are like what we kind of yeah uh, like colloquially call like vocations sure. like when you look at the states of life there's really like single life is not included right there's right. marriage there's consecrated life mm -hmm. like whether it's consecrated virginity religious life being a monk whatever mm -hmm. and then there's priesthood um and the ordained like holy orders and it's it's you know so single life is not included in those things yeah and so it's a difficult thing theologically because mm -hmm. like you know, and, and people have different opinions on this. This is one of those questions yeah, that gets developed, you yeah. know. Um, but, you know, people, some people think um, that, you know, that the single life is, is not a separate state of life. And it's interesting because, like, I think in our day and age, I, I can see how that would be true if only because, like, it seems like there's a lot of people who have maybe have a vocation to something. But for whatever reason, whatever things they've experienced yeah. in their life, whatever... I don't know, right? There's all sorts of circumstances that could go into it that maybe they have a, a call to marriage or a call to consecrated life and it just is not fulfilled in the way that right. we imagine that it would be. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, but I agree with Kathleen too that like, um, I think we make too much of an idol out of yeah. like uh, states of life vocations, especially yeah. like young women, you know, we yeah. have our, you know, um, and, and not just exclusively, but I think that we, we put so much stock in it that we like, we believe that like, well, without it, I am less yeah. without it. I am without, yeah. I am right. somehow like in this, everyone else has a box and I'm out here right. just like adrift. I'm like one of the outsiders and that somehow makes me less than what I should be. Yeah. And I think that we have to remember like what St. Therese said, like your primary vocation is to love, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and you can do that. You can be leavened for the world. That's what Lumen Gentium says the lady are supposed to be. Yeah. You can be leavened for the world and you should be Yeah. yeah. like, that's why literally why you're put here and you do that through love. And right. that's yeah. something that, happens obviously in the states of life vocations but it's not exclusive to that yeah uh, yeah and, and i think that's the the distinction there that's important i know many many men and women who are in their 40s or 50s who have not married 
Um, but it's not because something is wrong. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. it's because they actually are being leavened for the world. In many cases, they're leavened for their families. Mm-hmm. They're helping to raise uh, the, the children in a family from a very difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Or they kind of are um, professional liminars. They're professionally in the in-between because they love the Lord. Yeah. Not because they're waiting, but because, as you say, they're living their life and the way their life has unfolded thus far has involved them being ready and kind of like the the, um, the multi-tool mm. for, for God right. to work. And, and in a sense, it's almost like living a consecrated life, but mm-hmm. without the official, official consecration. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah, it, I, this is where we could say one of those things is kind of both are correct. Yeah. You know, is it an official vocation within the church? Well, not technically. But is it a vocation that the Lord calls us to and through? Yeah, obviously, because yeah. you don't stop being a Christian if you're not married or not priest. A priest, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, that's a, that's a good question, dude. And we can spend like I. We should do a whole show on that because there there needs. I think there needs to be a change in, like, in how we look at at yeah. at how we idolize vocation, especially mm-hmm. married life, especially down here in the South for young women. Yeah. Um, and there's a ha- lot of cultural stuff. Right. And how do we treat, you know, how do we treat and how do we encourage people who are single? I, I'm, I'll be very honest. I struggled a lot in my single life because I desire to be married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I always felt like it was, I've always felt like there was this like, Oh, well, you're not really, yeah. I mean, you know, in my own circle, in my own family, there are people who are, um, you know, friends, family, there are people who are younger than me mm-hmm. who like got married and now like they get to sit at the proverbial adult table mm-hmm. yeah. because they're married. And I'm like, I have a college degree and I've been working for 15. What? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and now, you know, now I'm seeing, I have a ring on my finger and mm-hmm. the, the, outlook has shifted uh-huh. it's like what an adult kathleen and i'm like what the heck mm. like right. you know i've so, been adulting longer yeah, than yeah yeah so i mean uh, yeah we could talk about that forever yeah. Yeah. no in fact that we might do that in the new year is, uh, yeah. is have a show and maybe do a panel or something like that assuming mm. we can have more than you know two people in a studio at the yeah. same mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Uh, please god please bring an end to all of this nonsense yes, yes lord uh, all right, so uh, we will we will shift now because I told you we were at the top of the show from our questions and answers to uh, a new segment that we've been calling the monastery <laughs> down the block. That sounded very spooky. Well, it's, it's an amen. The mo- no, you did the monastery oh, yeah. down You're using your, like, the block. The monster mash voice. <laughs> I was using my. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my Brom Stoker. All right, okay, all right. So for the monastery down the block, this is actually one that I've been to, and it is close. If you're in the southern United States, it's close to Louisiana. It's it's drivable, and that is St. Bernard Abbey in Coleman, Alabama. Oh, I've heard nice. of this one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so in the 1840s, monks from Metten Abbey in Germany um, founded the, – the German abbey was founded in the year 700 or around then – they came to America in the 1840s to plant the uh, Benedictine monastic life in the United States. Excellent. And so they ended up at St. Vincent, Ar- Vincent, Vincent Arch Abbey in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. And then from there, in the 1870s, the monks from St. Vincent came to Alabama. And they served most especially the German Catholics at the time. Um, but uh, in 1891, those monks established the abbey, St. Bernard in Cullman, and then a school was open, as Benedictines typically do. Mm-hmm. Um, wherever they land, a school blossoms. 
And so a lot of different things happened uh, on St. Bernard Abbey's uh, campus in Cullman. Uh, from 1892 to 1979, the monks operated a high school, a junior college, a four-year college, and a seminary college. And then in 1984, most recently, they opened um, St. Bernard Prep, so St. Bernard Preparatory School, which is actually uh, a boarding school. Hmm. Nice. In, uh, you in, don't see in that very You really don't. And I think the boarding school, if, if I remember correctly, the boarding school uh, is interesting in a special way because the age groups are uh, are kind of far reaching um hmm. let's see if i can remember what they are i think it's like seventh grade to 12th grade wow. okay so it's you know uh, i mean if you think about it the the, the kids that you teach um, are kind of all over the map uh, yeah. developmentally and that mm -hmm. sort of yeah, thing. For sure. And so um, it, it's really interesting that, uh, that, that part of the, the outreach, part of the apostolate for the monks is St. Bernard Prep, which is this, this school where they, uh, they teach young people. And oftentimes a person will go to a prep school because they're, um, you know, the, the, they need that kind of social situation or they yeah, need that the kind of structure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, in fact, that's one of the things that the, the prep school talks about is that, yeah, they're responsible for washing their clothes and getting up yeah. in the morning and getting to class mm -hmm. and getting to sports and everything. Yeah. And uh, and so they kind of almost live a monastic life, if yeah. you will, there on campus. But you know, what's, that's that's such like I've seen that happen. I have a friend of mine from um, from elementary school who went mm -hmm. to a school like that and he and he needed that in yeah. his life. And I remember seeing him and his mom in the video store. This is how long ago. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and I mean, he was his mom was so, you know, like tell her tell her what you you know and he was telling me about just his life and i was yeah. like what the heck mm -hmm. like this is awesome and so you know i i think some those schools are, are phenomenal mm -hmm. yeah you know especially for young people who have no structure you know and don't handle that yeah. well. or they're in a, in a strange or difficult family situation right? where mm -hmm. they need some of the structure that a family yeah, uh, yeah. I, I heard the, the phrase for the first time today a found family can provide oh, yeah. I like the that. notion that you know you have a family that kind of comes around you like the avengers you know mm, one yeah, that you yeah. weren't born into but you get accepted into oh, yeah. and that's really the benefit of living a community life i find and so the monks that's one of the the things that they do is they operate this but what's really cool and kathleen i think you would really enjoy this mm -hmm. the, the crafter inside of you ah yes in 1934, um, a brother Joseph, who's mm -hmm. a, a monk there, began a uh, an Ave Maria grotto, Very cool. and this is a garden walkthrough of miniature replicas of famous Old Testament and Christian buildings, and it's it is fascinating because cool. so he would gather. In fact, you can still see some of his uh, like his sheds and stuff. He gathered junk from all the people, brought him just junk. Yeah, and he fashioned all of this remaindered stuff into these scale models of cool. like the, the King Solomon's temple mm. and St. Peter's at the Vatican. Yeah. I mean, he's got the whole thing built there. Wow. And it really is quite something. It's, it's really surreal too, yeah. because you see all these things. So you're like, I think you go maybe like from the east to the west. So yeah. you're going from Jerusalem to Rome. And it really, really Very is quite cool. something. That was so, one of my favorite parts of the Bible museum was they yeah. had mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you could the walk diorama through. Yeah, things. and I was like, look how cool. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and then of course, if you're at Coleman, you can head up to the uh, the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament yep. that has the John Paul II um, exhibit mm -hmm. where you can kind of walk through museum style the history of the mass. Mm. Uh, and yeah. I haven't have seen you, you haven't I been haven't there yet? I've no. been there a million times. Every time I go, it's closed. I'm like, come on now. <laughs> so the monks also at St. Bernard Abbey in Coleman, they also operate a retreat and conference center. And I've stayed there once. It's a very nice uh, facility. 
and so you can do uh, you can do retreats there. Um, the the monks' life, a typical day, um, they begin as we talked about a little bit earlier with uh, with the first office of the day before the sun rises, matins, and then uh, they pray. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, is that right? Yeah, and then they pray the lauds right after that, which is morning prayer. And by this time, uh, the the sun is up. And so then uh, they, they have a little bit of private prayer after lauds for breakfast. Then they go to mass. And then, um, and then they, go to, they don't go to mass. They go to their jobs, right? Yeah. So some teach, some work on the grounds, um, some work in the different little apostolates that the monks have. Um, at noon, they stop in the church and pray midday prayer. Then they have lunch, and they don't talk during lunch during any of the meals mm. because they're monks. Yep. And so only on feast days do they talk. Then uh, they'll have Mass at 4, then um, they have private prayer, uh, or in the Blessed Sacrament Chapel they have adoration, then they go to Vespers evening prayer, they go to supper in the refectory, and then um, uh, there's table reading at the refectory. And then uh, at, at night they go to Compline, which is the last hour of the day at 7 p.m., and then they enter the Grand Silence. And as they enter into the grand silence, the abbot sl- um, sloshes them, splashes them with uh, holy water as mm. they end their day. Mm. So yes, that's the monastic hours. And so if, you, if you're ever in Coleman, Alabama or around that area, I will put a link in the show notes. You can visit the uh, Benedictines. And they also have an oblet program. So if you, uh, if you find yourself uh, desiring to live the Benedictine life, there you go. Very cool. That's the monastery down the block. Uh, you know, uh, Jeff, we are always grateful for everybody who uh, who listens to us, and I know you probably don't have the script in front of no, you, but I figured I'm supposed to read here. But, uh, but I yes, figured, but I figured you'd want to say that we're grateful for them, right? Very grateful for your prayers, for your financial support. Thank you so much for supporting the Catholic Underground. Mm-hmm. That's right. You can become an official undergrounder by going to catholicunderground.com slash donate. And uh, you can also help us out by letting others know that we exist. Yep. So if you don't mind, like us, heart us, and star us on your platform of choice. And leave a review if your podcasting service allows you to do so. That would be lovely. Our panelists this week uh, have been Kathleen Lee. Thank you, Kathleen. Anytime. Also, Olivia Galino joins us. Thank you, Olivia, for joining us. And then uh, Jeff Blackwell is our technical director. He's back in the saddle on the Jeff Star One. Thanks, Jeff. Great to be here, Father. It's a privilege. Alrighty, we also uh, had Albert Dupont running the video for us. Ed is on assignment. Jim Hayes is our research assistant uh, with his crew in the lab. And you know me, I'm Father Chris Decker. Follow me on Digital Catholic on Twitter and Instagram. You've been listening to the Catholic Underground, and we are Faith Gone Digital. We'll see you next time. Catholic.